to Monday, everybody. Hey, right before I jump into things here, guess what? Guess what I got in the mail? I got a brand new box from Lost Freight. What could possibly be inside? I'm going to have to take a look. Oh, uh, let's, oh, what is it? It's my very own Please Advise hat. I am now a, a member of the Please Advise Hat Club. How does that look, everybody? I think it looks fantastic. But here's the best part about this. You get a uh, certificate of authenticity. It says, uh, certificate of authenticity. The certificate is proudly presented to you. Always remember to please advise. This is better for a gift receipt when I go on to eBay to sell this read. The people will know this is a real one. Now, this says, thanks for the support since day one. You, the man. You too, Reed. Go to uh, shop.lossfreight and go get your own one of these. Hold on. I just heard this might be up on social, too. Let's throw this out. There we go. All right, cool. Big news came out over the weekend. You know what, though? I could, like, have some expert tell you about it. I could have some talking head tell you about it. Or I could have a former Yellow employee, one of our best correspondents during this whole unwinding of Yellow, tell about their latest billion-dollar bid. Here's Frankie. Frankie, what's going on at Yellow? Good morning. Good morning. So last night... I found out Old Dominion put in $1.5 billion to purchase yellow terminals. Uh, my previous video I put out was about Estes putting $1.3 billion. So now Old Dominion came in, said, okay, I want those terminals. So they put in $1.5 billion. The only giant I know that can beat that offer will be FedEx. FedEx have the money. If FedEx want it, FedEx can get it. Now, would it be 1.6 billion, 1.7 billion? Only time will tell. But I'll tell y'all one thing. As soon as I find out, I will update you guys. So that's Frankie right there. Uh, done right, uh, done right 40 over on TikTok. Go follow him. Old Dominion, as you heard, they upped the ante with that $1.5 billion bid on Yellow's terminals. ODFL's offer exceeds that previous bid I told you about just last week, the $1.3 billion bid from Estes. Todd Minton goes on to say the offer for the 166 terminal portfolio is a stocking horse purchase agreement, wherein the bidder sets the floor for the value of the assets to be sold out of, out of a bankruptcy estate. The properties will still undergo a marketing and sales process in which higher offers from other parties may be accepted. Well, other offers from other parties, who could that be? I put a poll out to you, the supply chain community, to see who you thought Yellow's potential suitor would be. 31.8% of you thought it would be Estes. They thought they would up that 1.3. They set the floor. Now you think they're going to set the ceiling. ODFL had 28%. FedEx had 26.7%. That's who Frankie liked. He said he had the money. 13.5% had other, though. Uh, could it be Flexport? Ryan Peterson from there said, how much are they? I said, $1.5 billion is the latest offer. He said, I wish we had more money. So it may not be Flexport. I don't know if they're out of the running. Zay, the truck driver, says Knight Swift. Huntsman says LFG Averett. Carpe diem, baby. He wants Averett to pick those up. Chris Thomas said, obviously, losses Reed will make the final bid to expand his merchandising empire to send out these police advice hats. Steve Cyberl, Amazon. Amazon's an interesting one because... Amazon, they opened up all of those warehouses and facilities, but some of them, 
still sit vacant. However, Yellow might have some well-positioned terminals for their network. Amazon could be in the running. What about XBO? That's who Taco Destroyer likes. He said the hedge fund that bought 45% of Yellow stocks a few weeks ago also owns XBO. Interesting. What do you guys think? Let me know. Frankie, he went on to say this is an even bigger problem, though. The, big, the biggest losers in these things are the employees. And he went on in that video to say that some, a lot of workers are still haven't received their vacation pay. He personally is out for two weeks, but he knows some long-timers who are out 15 weeks of vacation pay. So hopefully that all gets settled for them. Now, how about a little bit of good news? It's always such doom and gloom on here, right? Rejects are on the rise. Take a look at this chart. I'll make you happy right now. Craig Fuller, our own CEO and founder, said trucking capacity is finally reacting to higher freight volumes. Tender rejections are at the highest levels all year at 3.96%. I mean, that's not that high, but this has been a bad year. So we got to take the victories where they come from. And he, suge- he says this suggests that the bottom is in the freight market, and things may firm up from here. Gunnar Miller, he said, had one of my guys tell me today that a large reefer shipper expressed this exact concern for him today, especially in the Great Lakes region from them specifically. Billy the Spud said, I think we have been a solid 1% of those numbers for just our two trucks. Probably field 100 calls for crap every decent load we take lately. Reaper Capital says, trucking is so back. He's ready for it. Dollar Bill said, a lot of excess inventory problems have been dealt with over the last 12 months. Well, that doesn't fit the crash crew narrative. It means new range products come in at much higher pricing, which raises profitability and much cheaper shipping costs, too. Jeffy says trailers and dolly orders seem to be increasing as well, which may indicate carriers feel the same way. Bill Packett says still lots of trucks deadheading out of Florida to get freight in Atlanta. Outbound California tepid at best, not too hard to cover. Even flats out of the Carolinas aren't too bad. So, Big market. That's just uh, the average of all of it. All of you are seeing different things, but I'll, uh, I'll take the green shoots. We got enough negativity, as I said. Now, here in San Francisco, just about a week ago, the regulator board over there said, hey, you can run cruise autonomous taxis. Go crazy. Run them all over through the, seats, the streets of San Francisco. Well, ever since that happened, there have been a few incidents. One of them hit an emergency vehicle, a fire truck. It was in an intersection, just decided to stop, and the fire truck crashed right into it. And now we have this incident as well. Roll this tape. This is from, Dust- <laughs> this is from Dustin Gardner. He said, spotted three robocars stalled in the same intersection in San Francisco. This time, it's cruise cars jamming the intersection of Valencia, 21st Street, in the Mission. Parking enforcement guy banged on the windows trying to communicate with the crews. Traffic was backed up for blocks. TechCrunch says, Cruise, a self-driving car subsidiary of GM, has been asked to reduce its robo-taxi fleet by 50% in San Francisco following that crash with the emergency truck. I believe this happened the day after that crash happened. The state agency said it's investigating recent concerning incidents. I'm sure it'll add this one. Involving cruise vehicles in San Francisco, it called for Cruise to reduce that fleet. Uh, that means that they would only have 50 driverless vehicles in operation during the day and 150 driverless vehicles at night. TechCrunch says that they are going to comply with this request and um, reduce that fleet. So tough times in autonomy. Sure, everyone else in the autonomy space, too, is looking at that and they're like, existential dread, especially you autonomous trucking companies. I know you don't like seeing those cruises in those situations. On today's episode of What the Truck, let's get on deck here. I'm talking a bull hauler, Laura and Della, all about the art of hauling livestock. Want to start out as a trucker earning $110,000? 
UPS got all the love, but what about Walmart and Sam's Club? Ricky Sharp and Ashley Milisek, they're from Walmart and Sam's Club Associate to Driver Program, and they're going to tell us how they're turning retail associates into truckers over there. Is contingency coverage alone enough? Craig Linauer, Inland Marine Corporate Claims Manager at Travelers, he tells freight brokers how to make sure they're fully covered in the event of an incident. We got Mike Bush here. He started his first day at CDL 1000. Uh, he's here to talk about the job market for supply chain employees. Uh, what's good at CDL 1000? He's got some marketing tips. He might be doing an ice bucket challenge. He's going to talk a little bit about supply chain meetups, too, plus how merging works, how not to use hammocks, a terrible way to fix a hole in a wall, and a whole bunch more. So let's tip the band, and we'll get to some guests. You may think of AIT Worldwide... You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, they've evolved to become a global logistics powerhouse. Today, AIT is customizing supply chain solutions for multinational Fortune 500 companies, shipping between Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating tailored plans to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from logistics pros at AITWorldwide.com. But now, let's check in with Craig Lineauer, Inland Marine Corporate Claims, over there at Travelers. Craig, welcome back to the show. Welcome to Monday. Hey, happy Monday, everybody. There's always issues in supply chain, and we haven't solved them all. I think last time we were like on to double brokering, weren't we? That's exactly right. We talked about double brokering. We talked about the risks and problems for freight brokers and motor carriers, uh, and each presented sort of, uh, you know, risks, and each of those uh, entities had their own risk and problems with double brokering. That's correct. You know, so today we're moving on to the whole new topic, and that is the subject of contingency coverage. I'm not super familiar with this one, so I'm going to get educated up here as well. Let's start there, though. What's the contingency coverage? Yeah, so contingency coverage, you know, it's called that because it's contingent upon certain triggers happening before there's a payout. And these triggers are what make this type of coverage generally not that great in terms of protection for freight brokers. Interesting. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, for example, how is that? Can you can you expand a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, look, freight brokers are generally not liable for cargo damage because they don't really touch the cargo. They don't handle the freight, right? It's the motor carrier who does that. But if there is damage and the motor carrier doesn't pay and a shipping customer is looking to the freight broker for, for compensation, then what happens? And that's where contingent coverage comes in. So contingent coverage will pay out once certain conditions are triggered, right? And this means that the claim process is over and there's non-payment or there's a failure to respond by the motor carrier who actually damaged the goods. And so, you know, a broker can demand payment from the trucker right away when there's loss to cargo, but, but there's this built-in waiting time. And you're probably familiar with the folks out there, you know, the federal regulations legally, legally give a motor carrier 120 days to investigate a claim. So it can take, you know, that's four months. It can take up to four months to settle the claim. And so you have to wait, 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 and wait some more, even after you've made demand uh, upon the, the, the motor carrier. So the question for the broker is, can you afford to wait? There's really not prompt resolution there, okay? And then even if you can afford to wait, you should consider this. If a payment is made under the trucker's insurance for the cargo damage, then the contingent policy may not pay at all above what's already been paid. We call that an excess payment. So many contingent uh, policies won't pay excess over whatever the motor carrier's policy pays. And then to pay out, contingent cargo insurance requires the declination of coverage first, usually. But what about a denial of liability? What if you as the broker wait and then the trucker denies liability 
not coverage of insurance. So will the contingent cargo policy that you have pay? Some really won't. And then most importantly, there's no duty to defend in the typical contingent cargo policy. So it's very common in cargo litigation for the freight broker to be named as a party, and you can get sued anywhere in the United States. Typically, litigation is almost always filed where the loss happens, and it's not where the freight was brokered from. So this is super inconvenient for you as a lawyer. I mean, I'm sorry, as a broker, especially if you don't have a lawyer where the suit is filed. Excellent. So, is, but here's the thing, though. It doesn't sound that effective. So do freight brokers need contingency coverage? Is there something else that they need? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And it absolutely is, is necessary, right? It's a great backstop for freight brokers to have as an intermediary so that their shipping customers can be made whole, so that they can get paid uh, and that relationship that the freight broker has with its, ship, with its shipping customer can be saved. You know, in the, in the instance where a motor carrier who causes the damage fails to pay. And look, it's relatively inexpensive. So there's really not a reason, you know, there's no reason not to have it. It serves a purpose for sure if and when you need it. But I think the better question would be, uh, is contingency coverage alone by itself enough? And I think the answer to that question is probably uh, no. Interesting. So I'm guessing that you're going to tell me there's a solution for this shortcoming of contingency coverage for freight brokers. You are correct, sir, indeed. And the solution is $1 liability coverage. And so, as I said before, freight brokers are generally not liable because they don't actually handle the freight. You know, they're brokering that freight from some, up, from, from some office somewhere. But they can be liable, liable uh, legally in several instances. There's really three primary ways. And the first is where they contractually enter into an agreement to be liable instead of the motor carrier. So they enter an agreement that makes them liable as a motor carrier would be. The second is if they're mistakenly listed in shipping paperwork as a motor carrier, and this does happen. Uh, and then the third is in the instance where they are negligent in retaining a carrier who turns out to be uh, an, an imposter thief. So. Those are three ways that the broker can be legally liable, and it's not covered by a contingent cargo policy. Your contingent cargo policy is not going to respond to those exposures or provide you a lawyer in the event that you get sued. So what you need is you need a policy that ensures your legal liability as a freight broker plus uh, has a duty to defend, and that's dollar one liability coverage. You know, it's more expensive, I should say. Uh, but a liability policy is going to respond to the exposures I just mentioned, and it's going to have a duty to defend that provides you with an attorney. Hey, Craig, we got Craig. We got we got Craig. Do we just lose Craig? Anybody advise? Please advise. See the hat right here. Please advise. We got Craig on that screen would be fantastic. Do we not? All right, let's just go to meanwhile while we figure that out. You know, I look, I'm looking at that camel there, and I got to say, the camel, it, it looked a little bit CGI. Now, I would take a regular or a CGI Mike Bush. Mike, where are you? You're late. You're supposed to be signed in right now, too. We don't got Mike. We got Craig frozen. What is going on around here today? <laughs> what, what else can I move to? All right, let's just go to elsewhere. What do we got on elsewhere? Ooh, this is a good one. 
you probably, yes, probably, this is a perfect Monday one. You guys probably encounter this every morning. says he signed in guys can you go can you go find mike that guy got crushed over there he's probably right in the other back channel we have a few comments on this one he's elvis turn that music down elvis says i don't get the desperation how much time will suv buddy say and you just can you roll that as b-roll with no sound yeah, there we go. I don't get the desperation, LOL. How much time will SU Buddy save here by getting in front? Trucker of 37 years. I get these a-holes in cars that do this all the time. If I this to a car, I would be fired. <laughs> it's not worth getting into an accident. Truck, trucker G says, every day I deal with this in and around Philly. Uh, Justin Martin says, you can easily wear out your middle finger in that traffic. David Newell says, it's times like these. I wish somebody would ride shotgun and have a hopper full of paintballs. This is a work of art, Giuseppe says. Escom, last time a car hit me doing this. They didn't even stop. I had no damage, but I'm certain they did. Mike said, I'm going to say it, and if some of y'all aren't going to like it, absolutely unprofessional. Seabird said, it's funny, but in the end, is it worth it? I don't have time to waste with the law and paperwork. Dr. Jackie says, that literally happened to me today. And Andy Barnett said, I love watching people get the prize they earned. That's a winner for sure. All right, it's Mike Bush. Let's bring up Mike Bush now. I, I think I see him. What's up, Mike? Junior, great to see you, buddy. Thanks so much for having me on. Where are you, where are you hanging out today? I'm actually in front of my house, man. We uh, we set this segment up, and I, I thought it'd be great to come to you live from the the, the site of uh, Hurricane Hillary. How did the hurricane come? Like, did you guys get nailed by it? There was a lot of like a lot of the news. A lot of people were batting down the hatches, and then uh, for some of you, it seemed like it might have just been a sprinkle. Yeah, for the most part, I think I think the Long Beach area really lucked out. We uh, we didn't get hit too hard, and to be honest with you, that's not a bad thing, right? Like the last thing we need is another set of uh, another set of, of of issues to 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 gum up the, the works. And thankfully, we avoided it this time. You uh you have a you have a new gig, by the way, a little cowbell for you. Congratulations, you're on the move. What happened? <laughs> Yeah, thank you, sir. I'm so excited. Uh, today is actually my first day uh, joining CDL 1000 as a chief growth officer. I, uh, I, I had the opportunity to come talk to you a little bit about the company, all the cool stuff we're doing, and then you know immediately lose any credibility that comes to joining your show by doing the Ice Bucket Challenge. So I'm excited about both opportunities here. Well, tell like why did why CDL 1000? There are a lot of employees out there. They're on the move. They're signing on companies. Why did you pick this one? Yeah, dinner. It's a great question, man. So, you know, a couple of years back, I heard uh, Audrey Ross over at Orchard Beauty give a conversation and she said, look, the pandemic hit. I had to grow from four carrier relationships to 14 carrier relationships. And each of the 10 she tacked on said, hey, great news, Audrey. We're going to make things easier for you. You've got a portal you can use. And then she started to look around and said, no, no, no that, that's 10 portals I have to use. That's not making my life easier. That's making it easier for you. And as I got to know the team at CDL 1000, the real focus of the company is making technology that works for shippers, right? So instead of instead of being a tech company who sees the opportunity to aggregate a bunch of truckers, put them into a marketplace and say, hey, that's what we've solved, right? We didn't go out and, and kind of hire a bunch of, of tech folks from Google and say, this is how we're going to do it. We actually sat down with customers and said, what is the right way to build a brokerage? What is the right way to meet a, a company's needs? What is you... What, what do you as a shipper care about? And we heard things like, look, 
I don't want to pay demerge ever again. So if you follow our uh, the supply chain cowboy or head of sales on LinkedIn, he's recently announced it. We're killing demerge. Our customers don't pay demerge. Per diem is next for us. And most importantly, we're not only focused on the shipper side of things, Dinner. We're also looking at the trucker side. So when we hear the Holy Trinity, pay me more, pay me faster, uh, give me more lanes, we're hearing that and addressing it. You know, we're looking at, at paying near the top of the market or at the top of the market. We're, uh, we're, we're focused on paying faster. We've got a couple of killer products in the way that are going to make it easier for truckers to get paid on time. I know Freightways recently ran a story about All 180 right, wait, days Hold on, to hold pay, on, so Mike. Hold on, Mike. We're getting, yeah, off, we're getting <laughs> awfully pitchy. We're getting awfully pitchy here. You're reading marketing bullet points <laughs> at me, boring me to death. Why did you personally join the like? What about is a man? What drove you to join this company? It's a $50 billion opportunity, and I've never seen a company doing it the right way like CDL 1000 is. See, that's a better answer. That doesn't smell to me. I like that answer quite a bit. <laughs> what do you, hey, what do you most like? What, love it, you, brother. Love it. You start, you start today. You're like, what is your, like, what's your, what are your, what's the first thing you're going to be doing? Uh, first thing I'm going to be doing is talking about the company and pitching them to you, man. Um, after that, you know, I'm going to be taking over the marketing team, really, really looking at, at how do we attract marquee shippers? How do we attract more of the quality carriers that we've been working with? How do we connect them, right? How do we make sure that, that, that top-notch shippers who are willing to, to really do things the right way are, are working with carriers that are, that are high quality? So I think that that's the long-term goal. Short, short term, look, I got to get my email set up. I just found out it's Mike Bush at CDL1000.com. Uh, get, get into the Slack channels and probably launch a fantasy, fantasy football team because I work for a broker, right? That's got to be the rules. Well, hey, let me ask you about something here. How about those supply chain meetups you've been doing? I know you're doing one with uh, Captain Please Advise himself, Reed. You've been doing a lot uh, out in Southern California. Are they worthwhile? What do you get out of them? You know, I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's tremendous in terms of finding your next career opportunity, in terms of finding people that you can work with in, in an informal way, right? Like I see the Please Advise hat you're rocking right now, and that's great, right? But how do you get people to, to see that hat and walk over and start a conversation? This is an industry that's been built on relationships all throughout its history. Nothing's changing. You know, whether it's joining CSCMP and going to some of the more formal meetups, whether it's attending F3, which is a killer show, whether it's going to a meetup just to find people that are, that are in the industry, either, you know, as somebody who's been in it for a while, find people that I can network with on the senior level, but also there's no earthly way I have access to junior talent. So if I get the opportunity to go meet a bunch of kids that are looking for their first career opportunity or second career opportunity, and I can point them in the right direction, that's tremendous. And that really should be what it's all about. Over time, those relationships, they're going to flourish. They're going to set everybody up for success. It's a supply chain industry. So I have to say, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Rising tide lifts all boats. So what's the key to setting up a good meetup? People out there, they want to bring them to Cincinnati or Chattanooga or Chicago or wherever. What's the key to getting one set up? You know, I think that the most important thing is patience. Uh, your first one, you're going to get four or five people if you're lucky. If you post it out on LinkedIn, uh, you're going to get a couple of people and you're going to feel defeated about it. Your second one, you're going to get six or eight people and, and some of them are going to be new and some, some people that you expect to return aren't going to. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience to get there. But as you get to the point where you're bringing in 50, 100 different attendees and you're, you're bringing in cool, cool companies to present the stuff they're doing, right? Like that's, that's another critical thing. You know, when you look at the startup ecosystem, meetup.com has been a critical focus and a critical way for, for companies that are startups to get their message out there. You know, go find a couple of startups in those, in those cities. You know, Cincinnati's got great supply chain world. Uh, Chattanooga, 
great supply chain world. Go find a couple of companies that are doing cool stuff, have them come stand on stage, talk about what they're doing. First off, don't make it an infomercial, but then make it a networking session after that. You're going to get a, a ton of value out of it just by attending, just by you know being a presenter, et cetera, et cetera. And let's be honest, if you're a startup looking to uh, hone your deck, all the questions you get from the audience at a meetup are the same questions investors are going to ask. Now, for one of these like events, is it... Do you want to make it like an open bar? Are you paying for the meal? Do you go Dutch on it? And when you're starting out, how does that part of it work? I think for the first couple, you either have to as a, have a company sponsor it. So you give people a reason to attend. Hey, listen, it's a couple of free drinks, whatever it might be. It's free appetizers. Um, you know, going Dutch is great when it works, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt your attendance. Over time, if you can get to the point where you've got 50, 75, 100 different people attending, then it's actually way easier to, uh, to, to go out and find a sponsor. You know, there are lots of freight tech companies trying to break in front of our audience. And if you say, hey, listen, I've got 100 of your prospective customers sitting around. You're welcome to do a three-minute infomercial if you, if you spring for a couple of drinks. You'll almost always hear a yes to that. Interesting. What is your best marketing tip? What, uh, what, what do you rest your hat on? Yeah. So, so Dieter, one of the big things that we hear right now is uh, AI is the future. It's the future of marketing. You can find marketing people who say, look, I'm going to write all my content using AI and, and I'll get you know, higher rated in Google. I'll get uh, more opportunities, blah, blah, blah. AI is tremendous. It's a wonderful tool, but it's not a panacea, right? To be authentic in the space, you can't sound like a computer. You have to be willing to go out there and put yourself out there a little bit. And you can use AI to say, look, am I hitting on all the right points? But at the end of the day, an authentic voice is going to be critical. And when it comes to things like search engine optimization, making it so Google can find you, AI is not going to be a panacea, especially because Google's smarter than you are, right? Like Google's going to figure out what's plagiarized and they're going to penalize it over time. So, so taking advantage of the tool, it's there and using it as a tool, but not necessarily a crutch is a critical approach. Mike, how handy are you? Uh, Dude, I'm the least handy guy in the world. All right. Well, you know, I, I'm not that handy either. In fact, the last time I, I had to hung, hang some sound panels, I came home and like my wife just did them. I don't know if she was trying to say something or, or not, but I came home and they were done. But let's see if this is a good method for fixing a hole in the wall. Roll this tape of this guy right here. Apparently he knocks uh, he knocks a big old hole in the wall here. He's got like the kid's playroom or maybe this is the hallway. I can't really tell, Mike. Would you just hang a Dude, picture? I'll tell you what, I like the... Uh... This guy's got so much more talent than I do. I, uh, I, would, I would probably rely on one of the designers I've been fortunate to work with over time to do something like this. Um, me, I'm pretty sure I can put a hole in the wall with a hammer, but the rest of this, this is way out of my scope of knowledge, man. Do you have kids? I do. I have a seven-year-old. So is he a boy? Like, I'm going to get and heat if they watch this episode. They're going to be like, why don't you do this? Yesterday, they saw a video of uh, the founder of Reddit. He was making pancakes of, like, Mario characters, and he was making them himself with the colors and everything, raising the bar too high for us parents. Oh, man, I'm, I'm on the, the, the shake and pour pancake plan here. You know, if I can shake it up pretty easily and then pour it out. Um, yeah, this, this video is tremendous, dude. I, uh, the Hulk is pretty pretty awesome, and this is one of the cooler things I've seen. I um, I would try it, but I'm positive I would end up needing to, you know, bring in a repairman pretty pretty shortly thereafter. Okay, but here's my thing. He is like the perspective and the physics of it don't make sense. His hand is coming out of the wall, but he's standing in front of the wall. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Let's maybe it's a mirror. Maybe it's maybe it's glass that he's punching through so you can see him through it. Well, let's see. Maybe what even a two way mirror. Let's see if it came out okay. Do you when you sell the house? Do you put this in the agreement like fixtures stay? 
<laughs> I would. Honestly, if I had this level of talent, I would sign it so that people would have to keep it assuming it was uh, some sort of famous artist. Well, if you have this sort of talent, you just smash your own walls and make these TikTok videos like this guy does. <laughs> he, like, he damages his I own house so. to make these. I think the most impressive thing is, is trying to figure out whether he's selling it as a template, like, oh, you know, here are all the, the stencils you need for it. Or is he actually just like, hey, listen, I live in, uh, in Long Beach, California. If you're local to me, I'm happy to come do this for you. Yeah. Well, hey, Mike, before I let you go, you said you were going to challenge someone to something. So let's see it. I am, Tudor. So uh, I'm going to do an ice bucket challenge today. And in terms of a challenge, I want to send one out to uh, Freight Daddy himself, or Container Daddy himself, Ian Whalen from JCT. Yeah. Uh, he's a, a, a pal out here in the Long Beach area, a really good guy. And uh, to set it up, uh, here, here's me shivering. Let's do it. Get soaked. I hope you, that's a big bucket. It is a big bucket. It's a huge bucket. Get it, Mike. Thanks, Tudor. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. Take, take care. He was already out. I will talk to you. <laughs> take it, take it. He's already ready to go get changed, man. Well, that was a good shout-out. Oh, Craig's back. Let's talk to Craig because I had one question left for him, and it was uh, we wanted to get it to explain to us what dollar one was, then your, your, your uh, reception cut out right in the middle. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, it's all good. Um, so as I was saying, yeah, so I was saying there is a solution, and the solution is a liability coverage for um, for the freight broker. And, you know, as I said, freight brokers aren't liable because they don't handle freight. But there is three instances where they can be liable, right? And that's where they contractually agree to be liable by agreement, uh, or if they're mistakenly listed in paperwork as the carrier, even though, of course, they're the freight broker, or if they're negligent in retaining a carrier who ends up to be uh, an imposter thief. So contingent cargo policies won't respond to those exposures or provide you a lawyer if you get sued. So what you need is you need a policy that ensures your legal liability as a freight broker, right? Um, and it's more expensive, as I mentioned, uh, but it's going to respond to those exposures where, you know, can fill in the gaps where that contingent policy uh, won't. So that's where I think we left off. Yeah, we got it. So it's not an either or coverage scenario. Correct. Correct. It is absolutely not either or. It's it's really the best case scenario is to have both, right? So so let's face it, as a freight broker, your relationship with your shipping customer is vitally important, right? You also, But you also want to protect yourself from exposure. So if you have a contingent cargo policy to backstop those times when the motor carrier doesn't pay, that's important and it's it's necessary. There's a place for it. But you need to know that you can also be liable for cargo damage as a broker in ways that aren't covered by that contingent cargo policy. So you need to be sure that you have this dollar one liability coverage, right? And I should mention, uh, by the way, that Travelers offers dollar one liability as well as contingent coverage in one product, uh, and that's the cargo logistics pack. Uh, it's cargo logistics pack policy. So you get two for one and it's one stop shopping. It's a great deal. Check it out at travelers.com. Craig, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for stopping by the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Speaking of insurance, guys, it's CVSA uh, break check week. Right over this week. Be careful out there. Looking at your brakes. Looking at your brakes. If you're one of those shady uh, shady trucking groups, there's one that's like, yeah, we're protesting the brokers today. Give me a break, dude. You're sitting on CVS break check week. You're not, you're not going after any brokers. Be honest. 
Jeez. All right. China, India, Korea, Vietnam, Belgium, the Czech Republic, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. More than 2,700 AIT worldwide logistics supply chain experts are stationed in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States. And in 2023, they've added even more global locations as the organization strives to make it easier than ever for companies to ship between Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business, you can learn more at AIT Worldwide. Com. All right, let's learn all about bulls, man. It's Laura Andella. She is a bull hauler. Laura, thank you so much for coming on this show called What the Truck. Oh, thank you for having me. Where are you? Where are you sitting? Are you in your truck right now? No, I'm at home. Uh, I just actually took my truck down, uh, getting the trailer service this week for uh, busy seasons about to pick up. Going to be going out to Nebraska, Iowa a lot, pretty much back to back runs. Oh, what is like? What's peak season in like? Do you, do you do like all livestock or just bulls? I do all livestock. Um, so actually, I have a weekly um, pig trip that goes out to the Midwest, and um, on the way back, I'll pick up you know a couple different pigs and goats and sheep, all all that. And then when I go out west, that's all cattle. So did you grow up on like a farm? How did you end up in the, the livestock hauling business? Yep, I grew up. Um, my family actually makes hay, and they sell it to horse farms down in Long Island. Um, so my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, all truckers, owner-operators, hauling their hay down to Long Island. And then they were raising beef on the side. And one of the guys who has bought their calves um, almost every year for the last probably 40 years, he was looking for a, a new driver. He's had a new truck coming. He said, I want to put a girl in it. And I just got my license maybe three months before. So my dad recommended me. Went on my test drive, got hired on the spot. So, but leading up to this, like as a kid and everything, had you been, you, you mentioned like most of your family is in this business to begin with. So you've been surrounded by it. Were you in trucks and going on runs and dealing with animals all the time anyway? Yeah. Um, we, we all used to take turns going down to Long Island with my dad and my grandfather. Um, and it was always so much fun. I mean, you go into the truck stop and my grandfather used to tell the lady every time we went in there that it was our birthday, whether it was or wasn't. So we'd get a giant cookie. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, loved, loved being around the trucks growing up. So this is like, have you ever hauled like, like door swingers, like dry van freight or anything like this? Or has this been all livestock? I actually got my license hauling milk. Um, I always said I didn't ever want to do anything, uh, quote unquote, boring you know, like swinging doors and bumping docks and whatnot. So I started with the milk. Um, and like I said, three months after I got my license, I got the call um, to haul livestock. And I just, from the, from the start, I've loved it. It is pro it is my dream job. And I was so blessed to have gotten it so quick in my career. I thought it was going to be five, 10 years down the road before I got something that paid well, that still had me home a decent amount. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, bullhogs, they go, go, go. But Honestly, I um, in the busy season, I get one or two days home a week. And then when it's slow, I can be home for three, four, five days at a time. What is the difference between hauling milk and hauling livestock? Because, like, the milk isn't going to move back at you. <laughs> well, um, with the milk... If you're just doing transport and it's a full load, it's probably not too different from just hauling a, a really heavy dry van. Um, they are overweight. I mean, a full milk tanker is going to come out. Your whole unit's going to be around 102,000 pounds. But I did farm pickup for most of the time. So as you're moving throughout the day, you start out really light and then you get that slosh going um, as your trailer fills up. And that's you definitely, especially in the wintertime up here in upstate New York, you have to watch out. Um, for your, your curves and watch your speed because if something happens, you might stop in time and then give it about five seconds and that slosh is going to hit. And if it's heavy enough, it could push you forward even if you've stopped in time for whatever traffic event is happening in front of you. 
Really interesting. So I'm curious how this all works. Like, what is a typical day for you where you're picking up, let's say, some bulls? Um, most of what I haul, we load right out of my boss's barn. Um, so usually I show up um, and either I start helping load or if they've already got it most of the way loaded, you know, I'll get all my paperwork in order and just help them load the last couple animals. And then you, you just you head out. Um, you don't have to follow the same hours of service. So like we don't have to take a half hour break after eight hours or anything like that. Um, we have an ag exempt radius. So for the first 150 air miles radius of my trip, I can make it about three hours before I even have to start logging my hours. And um, yeah, I mean, I get to where I'm going. And usually there's someone there to um, tell me which pen they need to go in. Um, or they'll tell me just park it at, at the dock and we'll wait and you know, unload you in the morning with the pigs. Usually I get there and I'll just unload them myself and then pick up whatever I'm taking out of that barn so I can keep moving. How long is a run typically where you're, you're carrying animals? How long can they be out on the road for? They can be on the trailer for 28 hours. Um, none of my trips take longer than that. Um, my boss, he's not big on speeding. I know a lot of people think bull haulers left lane, you know, just speed, <laughs> speed, speed. Um, but you know, he, uh, he doesn't like us to be driving, you know, recklessly, um, or unsafe. So, and when I go to the Midwest, um, from the pigs and the goats and lambs, that's about 10 hours out. And then, you know, I've got a couple different stops on the way back. So it's, um, about 14 hours of driving to come back home. And if I'm going out West, it's usually between 18 and 22 hours of driving plus your fuel stops. So I'll take about a two or three hour nap and that'll get me um, to my destination right around the 27 hour mark. Do you have to like take care of the animals when you're, you're out on the road? Like how do you make sure like the conditions are fine for them and they're doing well during the journey? If it's hot out, the biggest thing is to keep moving. Um, I really love the Google Maps, um, you know, tells you if there's a slowdown ahead, if there's a really big construction slowdown and it's 90 degrees, I'm going to get off the exit, um, you know, pull out my atlas real quick, double check my route and see which way I can go around just to keep the air flowing and moving for them. Um, other than that, it's pretty much just uh, if it's cattle, you want to make sure they're standing up. So anytime I stop for fuel, I walk around the trailer. If anybody's laying down, I get them up just because if there is any quick shift, um, you don't want them to get stepped on by the other cattle. And then they're unable to walk out. What happens like if they get loose, like when you're loading them or God forbid at like a rest stop or anything, do you have like a, like a rant, like a, I don't know, a lasso or something? Oh, I've, I've never had them get loose. We actually, when we, um, when we drop our door down, um, cause it's on a pulley system, we tie the rope, um, to a hook on the side so that even pigs are the only thing that will really kind of root around by the door and try to push up on it. But you tie that rope down and it's, it's, as good as a lock it's not going to come open interesting now do you have to clean out the trailers yourself um not usually i know there are places that are self-serve trailer washes um but i've been lucky enough that every place i've hit um has had people uh staffed and working there to clean out the trailer for you which is also nice after those long trips because you can back in and then you know take an hour and a half nap and they'll knock on your door when they're done so Trailers, like 53 foot, you got your standard drive-in trailer. Is there a standard trailer for livestock hauling? Are there like certain like regulations you have to adhere to? There are a lot of different kinds. I've seen 53 foot and 48 foot. Um, and then it's pretty much just personal preference. Some of them have a spread axle. Um, I don't have a spread axle on mine. I know that in some states like New York, um, 
the kingpin length will be too long if you don't have a spread axle. So you want to avoid DOT because you will get a ticket for that no matter what. Um, but it's really just personal preference on, you know, on the size and the different, some have different kinds of holes in the walls. Um, whereas I have a winter panel kit, which is just like these, um, like plastic pieces that slide up. So when it's cold, you can kind of adjust the airflow and close it up as much as you need to, depending on the temperatures. Some people have these slat trailers that have um, metal that sits in the walls all the time and they can slide up and down as needed. It's all basically personal preference. So now this definitely obviously doesn't happen to your family. You grew up around this, but when you're like out there in the wild, do you ever get like pushback from people who are like, oh, you know, you're a little girl who's a bull hauler. Do you ever encounter that kind of like, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily want to call it discrimination, but maybe that's sort of like stereotyping. I get a lot more surprise from people, um, especially at the fuel island. People will go walking by and they stop and do a double take and they ask me if I'm if I'm old enough to drive the truck and they ask me how, you know, how I handle the animals. Um, I personally think being a smaller female, it gives me a little bit of an advantage because I can get out of the way a lot faster if a cow turns around on me. Um, I've hauled myself over a six foot fence in about two seconds before uh, when a cow turned around on me. But. Yeah, I haven't. I've been very lucky in that I have not experienced any sort of rude or crude comments or any discrimination. Everybody's usually just very surprised to see me. Anything ever like crazy or wild happen while you're while you're pulling animals? I nothing really comes to mind. Honestly, it's been a very it's been a very smooth ride so far. Um, other than you know traffic mishaps, you know having people pull out in front of you or um, slam their brakes right in front of you for no reason. Gotcha. Got you. Well, how do you think, like, do you, for example, do you ride around, like you pull animals, but do you ride around with a pet? No, um, not currently, but I am next week about to go pick up a puppy. So he's, he's going to come with me on some of the shorter trips um, to start. And then um, my truck doesn't have a whole lot of room. I don't have a stand up sleeper. It's just kind of my bed and my chair are right up next to each other. Um, but we are, in the process of ordering a new truck that does have a stand-up sleeper. So by the time I've gotten a gauge on if he enjoys being in the truck or not, I'll have a big enough truck that a full-grown dog can definitely ride with me. By stand-up sleeper, you don't mean sleep standing up. You mean like enough room to like walk inside? Yeah, yeah, enough. Yeah, like they have the little space there with, you know, the cabinets and the little mini fridge and microwave and whatnot. How do you think my dog would do? Because this is, he saw some goats this morning and this is how he reacted to it. I don't know if he would be great to bring on this trip. See, he's got the goats here. He really wants to play with them. <laughs> and he's going for it. Whoa. <laughs> That's why you got to keep him on a leash. I don't know that. Are you worried about your puppy maybe uh, trying to get too comfortable with the animals? No, um, he's not a herding dog. Um, he's a German short hair pointer. So um, he may come out and around with me. But I don't plan on, you know, trying to get him to help me load the animals or anything. He actually might, you know, the goats that might help with because they are really stubborn. But once you get one to go, they all go. So having a dog bark at him might actually help a little bit. Um, but I wouldn't want him around the pigs or the cows or anything. Now, you mentioned that you, you're, you're hoping to get a stand-up sleeper and some more room. But I have an idea for you. Have you ever thought of hanging a hammock inside your cab like this gentleman has right here? Go to Walmart, get a hammock, $34. If you're in a day cab, 
getting live unloaded you know it gets real uncomfortable in here but with this hammock ah real comfortable man just put it in the doors like this and like that and you're good to go man don't forget to twist the edges so you won't fall through but yeah very comfortable you can relax and lay down could that be a solution I have never thought of doing that um, in my current truck. I will say um, the milk trucks have uh, on the trailers, there's a ladder on either side for you to get up on top of the trailer. And um, many, many a times myself and other drivers have hung a hammock between those ladders and hung out under the trailer. Ooh, well, well, speaking of under the trailer, take a look at this guy right here. You haven't done that while you've been moving, have you? Oh, no. <laughs> Look at this guy. He's underneath the truck right now. Not worth the clout. Oh, no, no, no. I would never risk something like that. <laughs> That's a, do you think his team part, like his team driver, forgot he was under there? Pretty scary stuff. <laughs> I didn't even seem to care. <laughs> Maybe he was a hitchhiker or something. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. You guys can drop that one. You guys can drop that one. Well, Laura, what's next in in what's next for you in the world of bull hauling? You're having you're very excited. You're going to get a puppy. You might be getting a bigger truck. Yeah. Um, I mean, things are going really well. I have the best boss in the world. I always say he's spoiled me and I can never work for anyone else. When he retires, I'll have to retire. Um, but I mean, just, just roll with it. Just keep on, keep on doing what I'm doing. And I love what I'm doing. I get paid really well for it. I really couldn't ask for anything better. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. How, how do people follow you on your bull hauling and livestock hauling journey? Yeah, they can follow me um, on Twitter is where I post the most. That's uh, Laura Danny Andela, um, L-O-R-A-D-A-N-I-A-N-D-E-L-A. -A -A -E um, and then sometimes I post some pictures on Instagram of the places I've been in my truck every time she's been washed. That's Laura underscore Andela. Very cool. I hope you enjoy that puppy. And thank you so much for stopping by the show today. Thank you for having me. Take care. All right, everybody, let's uh, rate the strap work here. Let's see what we got doing. Daily Dan said, if I didn't see the street signs, I would have guessed this was going on somewhere in Florida. Strap work, 10 out of 10. Am Soil Trucker says, no strap, no problem. Tom Hajar says, you can lay the fridge down during transport as long as you wait, say, 24 hours at the new location before turning it on. Two dogs and a lady trucker, I give that a securement work of 10. OTR Pilot Car, he said, who needs straps? I've got Nikes. Let's roll. Jeff, he says, love the strap work. Nothing stronger than two dumbasses holding on. Looks like, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be able to get Walmart up. They're having technical difficulties in the back. I don't know. I might have to reschedule them, guys. I don't hear anything from uh, the team in the back. But in the meantime, before I let you go, you can, you can just send us out. We, if you guys can't bring them up, just, just hit my music. Drop this. Guys. Hit the music. We can go home. 78 days until F3. Go to live.freightwaves.com to get your tickets. Alex Epstein, can you hit the music? Alex Epstein will be there. Chris Voss, CEO of the Black Swan Group. Leland Miller will be there from China Beige Group International. 
We got Michu Kuku, we got uh, theoretical physicist, professor, and futurist. It's going to be a great show. Come on down. I'll see you there. We'll do better on this show next time. Sorry about a few of the uh, technical difficulties, and we'll see if we can get Walmart back on here. All right, everybody, take care. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find the show at FW Weather Truck. Take care. Don't be a stranger.